Hey, and welcome to week four of our journey through the gospel of Mark. We're calling the cross and the crown. This is your first week being here with us. We're really glad that you're tuning in. And if you were here last week, you saw that AJ walked with us through the gospel of Mark and talking about the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing, uh, really the supernatural aspect of that. And it was a really interesting message. If you missed it, go back and watch it online. But it kind of felt like everybody online and our other campuses leaned into that idea because we don't talk talk about supernatural things a lot. And when we talk about the supernatural and we talk about ghost stories, it, it kind of, you know, makes us interested. And so uh, thinking about that last week, uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite ghost stories in American history. It's the story of Fred William Osterick. In 1913, Fred and his wife, Dolly, lived in Milwaukee. This is a picture of Fred. Uh, this is he and his wife, Dolly. And as they were living in Milwaukee, Fred was a wealthy man, had a large house, but a house that he didn't really love because in 1913, he started experiencing things in his house that he could not explain. He heard about noises uh, up in the attic when uh, everyone was asleep. He would hear people walking and moving and talking. He would come home to find things in his living room moved, furniture rearranged, a book half read. He even came into his home one day to find a cigarette half lit and still smoking in his house. And it just freaked him out. He couldn't explain all of these random occurrences in what he thought was a haunted house. And so he got so wigged out that in 1918, he and Dolly packed up, left Milwaukee, moved all the way down to Los Angeles. But here's where the story gets freaky. The hauntings didn't stop. It's a new house on the other side of the country and the same things kept happening until one day, five years later, in 1922, almost a decade after the hauntings began, Fred was shot dead in his home. He was found by the cops, shot dead in his home with his wife, Dolly, locked into a pantry from the outside. No one, the neighbors, once they heard the gunshots, ever saw anyone leave the house. They never saw anyone come back in. And for years, the murder went unsolved until the ghost was finally brought to justice. See, there was no ghost living in Fred's house. Who was actually living in Fred's house is his wife, Dolly's boyfriend, Otto, who had been living in his attic for over a decade. It drove Fred insane. He thought his house was haunted, but it turns out that it wasn't a haunting. It wasn't the supernatural. It was an enemy inside his house all along that he never saw coming. And to tell you how crazy this story is, you can look it up for yourself. Dolly and her boyfriend got away with the murder because by the time anybody figured it out, the statute of limitations had run up. It's fascinating, right? But I think there's, there's a point there. We spend so much of our time looking for the enemy outside that we forget that sometimes the enemy's inside. The enemy's right underneath our noses. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit today because as we've talked a lot in Mark's gospel about the idea of the new kingdom, what we're gonna see today is that the biggest hindrance to the new kingdom isn't some supernatural force opposing it. What we're gonna see is that the biggest hindrance to the new kingdom is not an external enemy, but an internal issue. 
And so where we're gonna go today, and I'm gonna give you a few seconds to get there ahead of me, is Mark chapter seven. While you're turning to Mark chapter seven, if this is your first Sunday, kind of let me catch you up and, and kind of build the foundation that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. See, what we say when we say kingdom is what we mean is that there's this future kingdom of God where all the bad things in the world will be undone. All the injustices of this world will be set right and Jesus will rule over this world. And where we started on Easter Sunday was un- understanding that in the resurrection, Jesus pulled this future divine kingdom of God into the here and now. And we are living in between this old kingdom of the world that is defeated, but not yet destroyed. And the new kingdom that has already begun, but is not yet completed. And that Jesus himself is the king over this new kingdom. And he demands a new allegiance from us so that if we're going to live inside of this new kingdom, we have to learn to live differently. Because the new kingdom's begun, but not yet completed. Because the old has been defeated, but not yet destroyed. We saw last week that there is still this supernatural war taking place where the kingdom of darkness is pushing back a kingdom against this new kingdom of light. But that's not a fair fight because we know and saw last week that Jesus has authority over the supernatural reality of both kingdoms. But today, as I said, what we're going to zero in on is it's not those supernatural forces that are keeping us from experiencing the fullness of this new kingdom. We are doing that to ourselves. We're going to learn today that it's not anybody else's fault that we don't fully experience the reality of the new kingdom here and now. It's our own fault. And what we're going to talk about is this idea. We are all unfit for the new kingdom. Now, you may say, man, that's, that's a big statement. Like, I, I come to church, I tune in online so that I can be encouraged and uplifted, and that's kind of not the thing I want to see cross-stitched on a pillow at my grandma's house. I, I get it. I know it seems like it's a little off-putting. Bear with me, and, and I want to show you why this is not just some, you know, hellfire and brimstone thought that's meant to make you feel guilty, but it's actually a core teaching of Jesus around the idea of the new kingdom, and we've got to understand it and even embrace it before we can fully live live within the reality of this new kingdom Jesus is establishing in the here and now. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, and really our story starts all the way back in verse 1. We're not going to be able to read the entirety of verse 1, but you can take time today and go back and read verses 1 through 13 and see that Mark chapter 7 begins with Jesus having a disagreement with the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the Jewish system during the day. And what they were arguing about is the role of tradition inside the Mosaic law. Like what, what are the points of all of these traditions that the Jewish people were, were trying to keep to prove that they were better than everyone else? They were set apart other, uh, from every other nation, that they, they were different. And, and see, I think that when you look at Mark's gospel and how he writes it, you would even understand that this is an issue that the church was still battling. What's the role of the Mosaic law? What are the roles of traditions in the Mosaic law? They were still dealing with those when Mark wrote his gospel. You read a lot of Paul's letter in the New Testament. Galatians is a prime example. This was a big issue in the early church they were trying to figure out, but Jesus addressed it. And that's what they were arguing about in verses one through 13. And Jesus' point to them was that in trying so hard to keep the letter of the Mosaic law, and then adding all these other traditions on top of it, 
that this, these Jewish religious leaders ha- had really missed the point of the Mosaic law. They had missed the heart of God behind it. And we saw that a couple of weeks ago, talking about the idea of the Sabbath and fasting. But Jesus presses even further into that today. So we're going to start reading uh, just a couple of verses and kind of stop and talk about them to make sure we understand what's happening. But we're going to start reading in Mark chapter 7, verse 14. We read this. It says, And he, that he's Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So let's set the stage. If you take time this week and look at verses one to 13, you see that Jesus is arguing with those Pharisees, scribes, the religious leaders, and they're talking about the moral dietary law of the Mosaic system, right? And then Jesus has a crowd gathered around him that hears this debate going on. And so after the debate's over, in verse 14, what we just read is Jesus turning to the people, turning to the crowd and simplifying it for them. And he says, guys, listen, the whole point of what we're arguing, the whole thing I'm trying to say is this. There is nothing that you are going to consume. There is nothing that's going into your body that is going to defile you, that's going to make you unpure. It's what comes out of your body that defile you. It's the things that come out of your body. And here's where Jesus is going. Not make you unpure. The things that come out of your body show that you're impure already. Look at verse 17. It says this. It says, and when he had got done talking to the people and entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And so this is going a layer deeper, right? He was talking to the Pharisees and debating them. He tried to explain it simply to the people, but then even after that was over and he went into the home to kind of relax and unwind with his closest disciples, they still didn't understand it. They didn't get it. This whole idea of the external not being what makes you pure, not what makes you holy, is completely foreign to them. In their minds, they're thinking, hey, as good Jewish men, if we are not defined by our external dietary and moral laws, then who are we as a people? And I know sitting here in America in 2021, it may be easy to look down on them and say, no, you shouldn't get your you know, identity from those things. But I think in truth, we all still do that a little bit, don't we? We all, till, we all still tend to find our identity from external realities, whether that be the things that we have, whether that be the things that we do, the appearances we keep, the images we put on social media. We tend to find our identity from these external things. That's exactly what Jesus' disciples were doing, and that's why it was so hard for them to get their minds around what Jesus was teaching. Well, let's go on to verse 18, where Jesus really unpacks it and lays it out for them. It says, and he said to them, his disciples, he goes, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart, but into his stomach and is expelled? And Mark makes a note, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, here's the key, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
Here's the thing. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. See, the point here that Jesus is making is incredibly simple, but for the disciples and even for us today, it's really explosive. What Jesus is saying is it is the heart that defiles a person. Now be careful. What Jesus is not saying is that the external things don't matter at all. There was a branch in the early church called the Gnostics who taught that anything external didn't matter and they were wrong. He wasn't saying that just because something is inside of you, it's the only thing that's important. No, no, that's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is, yes, those external things matter, but they matter because our external actions, our external words reveal the internal reality of our own heart. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. That's the point he's trying to make. The external matters, but not because what happens outside changes you inside, but because your reality inside is eventually going to leak out. What Jesus is saying is, we are our own worst enemy. It's inside of us already. Now, let me try and make this a little bit clearer. Imagine a house with a faulty foundation, Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've had to deal with that a little bit in various capacities in the past, but you may think that when there's a house with a faulty foundation, that's bad. You'd be right. It's really bad. Matter of fact, it's threatening to the existence of the house itself. But here's what's so interesting. When a house has a faulty foundation, you don't see it in the foundation first. This is what you see. You see cracks in the walls. The foundation is underground. Usually it's not exposed. It's where you can't see it. But when that foundation cracks, it makes the house shift. And when the house shifts, the walls of the house, especially on a brick house, begin to settle and show cracks. Now, here's the thing. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is that when we focus only on the external, it's like you trying to fix a house with a faulty foundation by patching up the cracks in the walls. That's not gonna cut it. Yes, those cracks on the walls are important, but only because they reveal what is much harder to see, and that is that there's a problem in the foundation. What Jesus is telling his disciples, what Jesus is telling us, is that our problem is not damaged walls. Our problem is that we all have a faulty foundation. Put it this way, we don't need new habits We need a new heart. And I think it's so easy for us to miss that. I mean, you think, man, if I come to church, if I pray more, if I read my Bible more, if I don't do all those bad things and I try to do more good things, then that's gonna fix the problem. But guys, what Jesus is saying is it won't. You're not gonna fix your problems by putting a Band-Aid on them. You don't need to get better habits. You need a new heart. And that's why this teaching from Jesus is so revolutionary. Because when we understand what he's saying here, it helps bring that new kingdom into a clearer focus. And what Jesus is saying is, is that we are all, because of our faulty foundation, because of our heart, we are all unfit for this new kingdom. 
And we're all unfit for the presence of God. See, I think most of us, if we're just being really gut level honest, don't buck that statement. Like there is something in us that, that reminds us of the reality of guilt and shame in our lives. Now, I think we've all been there. Maybe you're there this morning. There's just this feeling of an ever-present but super sneaky awareness of the fact that we aren't good enough. We aren't smart enough. We aren't beautiful enough. We aren't talented enough. We aren't rich enough. We're not successful enough. You name it. But I think every single one of us carries around this feeling that's just always in the edge of our mind that we aren't enough. But see, I think the difference in what Jesus is teaching and how we deal with that is where most of us would say that feeling comes from. See, in the world we live in today, in our Americanized Western culture, we're taught that any problem we have, any guilt that we feel is the result of some external force in our life, either suppressing, repressing, or oppressing us. And maybe that's your parents and your boss. They, they messed you up. If they were better, you'd be better. Maybe it's the 1% or the man that's holding you down and keeping you from living out your dreams and achieving financial success. Maybe it's the unrealistic standards that society's forcing on you and are being reinforced through images you see on TV and social media that's keeping you from feeling good about yourself. Or maybe it's just people who look differently, believe differently, vote differently, and they're stealing your freedoms. And if we could get rid of all them, then everything would be better. Look, Whatever the narrative, whatever story you're telling yourself, it all has a common thread. From the earliest days in America, we are conditioned to believe one simple truth. It's us versus them. Everybody, everywhere, us versus them. Good guys versus bad guys. And good news, we're the good guys. And here's what's so crazy, and this is why we can't have a conversation in our country anymore, is because we all think we're the good guys, and we all think everybody else is the bad guys. And because of this, when we feel that guilt and shame that we aren't enough, the answer is always some form or another of, well, just be true to yourself. These external forces, whatever they would be, or what's really keeping you down. And if you are true to yourself, then you can overcome them. Now we hear that phrase, maybe not word for word. We hear it in a thousand different ways, right? Depending on what circles you run in, it may sound like this, dig deeper and try harder, right? God helps those who help themselves. Maybe if you're in another circle, this takes the form of, hey, you do you. Focus on your own happiness first. Or maybe if you're in another circle, it sounds different. I don't know. But the point is, they're all different variations of the same line of thinking. And at their root, what everybody's saying is this. The problems are all out there and the answers are all in here. If I try enough, if I believe enough, if I stay true enough, I can overcome. But here's the kicker. That's not how the new kingdom works. That is not what Jesus is teaching. 
Jesus is not teaching that the problem is out there. And if you're really good in here, then you can fix it. Jesus is saying, here's the problem. You want me to tell you the problem with the world? I'll tell you the problem with the world. Matter of fact, I think uh, a pastor that we've quoted before, Timothy Keller, I think he does a better job than I can of, of explaining that. This is what Tim Keller says. He said, what's really wrong with the world? Why can the world be such a miserable place? Why is there so much strife between nations, races, tribes, and classes? Why do relationships fray and fall apart? Jesus is saying, we are what's wrong. It comes out from the inside. It's the self-centeredness of the human heart. It's sin. Man, he nails it, doesn't he? It's a word that we don't like to talk about much anymore, but Jesus says, guys, the problem's not them, it's us. If we live in an us versus them, us is the problem. And that is because of sin. Sin is not some external force pressing in on you. Whether that be suppressing, oppressing, or repressing, sin is not out there pressing in. Sin is the default nature of every human heart. It's the poison that's deep in the well of our heart, and it ruins everything it touches. It is the hell-bent belief that our own self-sufficiency and our own self-superiority uh, are the answers to all of our problems despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Sin is the problem and sin is in us. And so I think what Jesus is teaching here is that you don't need a better view of yourself you need a biblical view of sin. If we are really gonna understand this new kingdom, how we live in it and the implications that it brings to our lives, we don't need to think more highly of ourselves. We don't even need to think maybe even more less, uh, less of ourselves. We just need to have a biblical view of sin, that sin is something not out there. Sin is something in here for all of us. Every single person who has ever been born has been born with that heart poisoned by sin. I think we see it with kids, don't we? Say, whoa, whoa, what do you mean see it with kids? Put a kid in a room with white walls, give him a red crayon, come back five minutes later and tell me it's not sin. You know, how about this? Who teaches your kids to lie? I didn't do it intentionally. They learned it on their own. Why? Because sin is that default nature of our hearts. But look, there is hope. There is hope that comes from this new kingdom. And the hope is this, that the new kingdom came not to fix everything around us. It'll do that later. But the new kingdom has come, Jesus has come to fix, what, to fix what's in us first. Jesus didn't come to take away all those external obstacles that are keeping you from living your best life and being your best self. Jesus came to fix the internal condition of your heart that is poisoned and broken by sin. Our friend Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, said it like this. He said, there's basically only two approaches to religion, each of which can be summed up in a single word, do or done. And the world says the problem is out there and the answer's in here, what I can do. 
The Bible says the problem is in here and the answer is what Christ has done. He's dead on. See, you've got to get that. I hope that clicks with you this morning. If you just focus on the problems out there, and if you think the enemies of the kingdom are only out there, and everything that's wrong in your life is out there, then you are going to be focused only on what you can do to overcome them. But the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, is that it's what you do that's the problem. Because your heart is poisoned and tainted by sin, because your foundation is faulty, because the enemy is living in your attic, you're never going to overcome it. You're never going to escape it. Your only hope is not what you can do, but what Jesus has done. That is taking your place on the cross that you deserved so that by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him, you can be given a new heart. This is so important. And if you haven't done that, look, today's the day. Maybe you've been tuning in for a while and you're just trying to figure this out, trying to really think about what you believe. But today, what we're saying just really resonates with you. I believe that's the spirit of God working through your screen in your heart to say, no, this is what you need. This is the problem. You need to quit trusting your heart and start trusting Jesus. And we have people on Facebook, we have people on the website who are there right now willing to talk with you, pray with you, help guide you through that process of what it looks like for Jesus to give you a new heart. Or maybe you'd say, well, Chip, I've done that in the past and, and so this doesn't really apply to me anymore. No, you'd be dead wrong. You may have asked Jesus for a new heart, but that tendency to look in yourself for the answer is just as prevalent today as it was before you knew Jesus as your savior. There's that draw that all of us are going to face until the kingdom comes in its fullness. Remember, even after you know Jesus, it's not just that the enemy's out there, the enemy's still in our bones. And so what we have to do is we have to understand that we are the problem. But that's good, it's helpful, it's hopeful. Because when we understand that we are the problem, it enables us to move beyond the traps and the lies of the old kingdom that would say, do it yourself. And when we move beyond the traps and lies of the old kingdom and trust Jesus to begin to make us fit for the new every day, we can better live in the reality of that new kingdom. So today, even if you've been following Jesus for years, Maybe you just kind of need to have a realignment where you remember that your problems aren't out there. You're your own worst enemy. You have a faulty foundation. And just because you, you came to Jesus to get that foundation fixed the first time doesn't mean that you can fix everything else that's gone wrong since. No, you still need Jesus to work in you if you want Jesus to work through you. It's still gotta be fixed. And we're in that process of sanctifying ourselves. That's a big word, right? every single day, Jesus sanctifying us. And so if that's you, I hope that you'll kind of get that refocus, that realignment today, and that you'll begin to look again to Jesus to fix what's wrong. Hope you'll come back next week. We're gonna press even further into this and see why Jesus is the only one who can give us a new heart and fix the problems that we can't. Before we go, let me pray for you. 
God, we're thankful for the time that you have given us this morning, God. And I pray that you would take your word and that you would use it to stir us, God, and begin to change our hearts. I pray that whenever we face uh, trouble, whenever we face heartache, whenever we face uh, obstacles in this world, that we wouldn't try to look deep within ourselves to find the answer, but that our eyes would go straight to you. That we would lift our eyes up to the hills where our help comes from, not within, but without. So God, I pray today for people who are struggling, who who maybe have never dealt with this, who maybe this sounds radically different from what they thought Christianity was. God, I pray today that you'd help them not to look for better habits, but that they would trust you to receive a new heart by the death of your son Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. God, would you change them today? Forgive them of their sins and bring them new life. God, we're excited about what you're doing in this series. We're excited about what you're gonna continue to do. And God, we're thankful that you're making us fit for this new kingdom here and now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.